Thank you, Pastor Mike. Morning, everyone. I am so excited to see all of you out there this morning as we gather on this uh, beautiful but uh, chilly Easter Sunday morning, a day that, uh, as has been mentioned many times today, that uh, Christians all around the world are gathering to reflect and give thanks and celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to kind of walk through the Gospel of Mark here today in just a minute. But as you're doing that, it occurred to me as I uh, saw the many children out there that I can remember uh, as a young boy myself. I, I, I'm guessing I was about seven or so years old, and I know you find this hard to believe, but I was a bit fidgety at age seven. And my mother found it a nightmare for me to go to church with her, but I did one Sunday. And uh, I was fidgeting as usual, and she kept saying, shh, be quiet, shh, be quiet. Finally, she whispered over to me, if you don't be quiet, the pastor's going to lose his place, and he'll have to start the sermon all over again. <laughs> Work like a charm. Never had a problem after that. <laughs> that might even work for some of us fidgety adults, too, right? All kidding aside, I really am thrilled to see the children gathered with us this morning. Yes, uh, children do learn well in their classrooms with peers and, uh, and, and the different ministries we have, and that's why we do have a robust children's ministry and youth ministry, but also we believe that children learn as well, if not better, when they have the opportunity to see and gather and experience with our whole church family, singing and praying, learning, worshiping together as an entire church family. And praise the Lord at Chantilly Bible Church. I hope you know it's our heart to come alongside of our parents and to equip and empower them and encourage them to effectively lead and disciple their children, our children, there are children, as to become followers of Jesus who know Jesus, who know his word and know who they are in Jesus. It makes such a huge difference. Well, as Kyle mentioned a moment ago, the theme of this year's Easter series has been Who is This Man? Or, or who is Jesus? Or more specifically, who is this king? And today, I would like to walk uh, very quickly and very briefly through the pages of Mark's gospel. And as we do that, I want to remind all of us, as we've been reminded throughout this Easter sermon series, that, uh, that while Jesus wasn't the king that these earlier followers of Jesus Christ expected, he was indeed the king that they, uh, that they needed, as well as us. We need this king, too. Now, a key word as you're opening up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, in the first half of this Gospel is the word authority. Everything that Jesus does, he does with authority. For example, on one occasion, we know from Mark chapter 2, as he ministered in Galilee, Jesus not only healed a man of lifelong paralysis, but amazingly, he goes on to declare, your sins are forgiven. And that kind of a claim would have meant a, a blasphemy and would have been considered punishable by death. And, and there were some uh, scribes that were sitting around and watching this miracle unfold, and they didn't like it a bit. And perceiving in his spirit the questions that were going on in their heart, here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. I'll put it up on the screen, or you're welcome to follow along with me in Scripture. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? I love verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed. And it says they glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Jesus' divine authority is also evident in Mark 4 when Jesus and his terrified disciples are, are caught up in this violent storm, threatening to sink their boat. And abruptly wakened by the disciples, Jesus arose, he stood in the stern of that boat, in that violently rocking boat, and he rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. And immediately the wind stopped and the sea became completely calm. The disciples' reaction is amazing. Verse 41, chapter 4. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey? And these are but two miracles of a whole lot of miracles to follow. That, uh, that, and, and along with uh, fulfilling some 300 Old Testament prophecies with 100% accuracy that Jesus used to clearly demonstrate that he was indeed that long-awaited and promised Messiah or King of Israel. However, the central point of Mark's gospel in chapter 8, this question of who is this king really comes to a pinnacle. And it's here that Jesus asked his own disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? His disciples responded saying, hey, Lord, you know, some people say that you are John the Baptist. And others, Lord, say you are Elijah. And still others say you're one of the prophets. And, and what other people thought about Jesus was just fine. But what was far more important at this point for Jesus was to know these men who had walked closely with him, who knew him better than anybody else, what did they think? And so Jesus goes on to ask them, hey, who do you think that I am? And answering for himself and all the other disciples, immediate according to Mark 8, 29, Jesus confesses, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Identifying Jesus as the Messiah, as we've heard throughout this series, was right on the mark, but it can be easily misunderstood. You see, according to the thinking of most of the people that day, the Messiah was a political and a national superhero who would deliver his people from Rome and establish his own righteous kingdom. With that thought in mind, I want you to try with me for a moment to imagine, imagine the incredible shock of Jesus' disciples when he says what he does in Mark 8.31. Here's what he said to them. Right after, he, right after he's just confessed, you are the Christ, look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 31, the son of man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after these three days rise again. <laughs> Imagine the shock. Suffering king, suffering Messiah was simply something that the disciples couldn't fathom. It was utterly unthinkable. So believe it or not, Peter... He was a little bit brass in verse 32, we're told, took Jesus aside and actually rebuked him. Quickly correcting Peter, this is what Jesus responded. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Unknowingly, Peter and the other disciples were, were seeking to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission here on earth. This, my friends, is a key turning point in the Gospel of Mark. For from this event onward, 
all the way to the cross, climaxing with Jesus' teaching in Mark 10, 45, he clearly, clearly is moving toward the cross. And look at what his purpose is according to Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man, declares Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Several years ago, I stumbled across a painting by artist William Holman Hunt entitled The Shadow of Death, where these words are, of Jesus are powerfully, powerfully illustrated. I want to place that painting up on the screens here and notice how Jesus is depicted as a young man in his father's carpenter shop. Observe how as he stretches out his hands, his shadow combined with the wooden plank covered with hanging tools attached to it on the wall behind him creates this graphic foretelling of the scene of the crucifixion. Let me tell you, though this idea came from the artist's imagination, it was 100% accurate. You see, from his birth, the cross cast its shadow over Jesus. Jesus, however, was not some helpless pawn on the chessboard of history. In fact, his death was wholly voluntary because of the sacrificial obedience to the Father's will to provide our salvation. Only one thing that separates us from God, and it's our sin. And thus, our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven and cleansed. And that, that is why Jesus came, born in the likeness of a man. And yet, being fully God, he lived a sinless life. Listen, so that he could be made sin for us and take the full force of God's wrath upon himself in our place. Look, please, with me at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love his argument and logic. Verse 7, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But contrasting, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me pause right here. I love doing this as many opportunities as I can and ask, dear friends, have you truly looked upon this portrait of grace? Have you comprehended the deep love of God the Father and placed your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins? That's really got to be the starting point. And if we miss that, I believe we miss everything. I'd love to talk to anybody who has any questions about that. For now, if you're still opening your Bibles, Mark 11. We fast forward here. After three years of public teaching, performing miracles, making friends and enemies alike, Jesus looks to Jerusalem. He's looking to the cross, and he enters the city one final time before suffering death on the cross. To this point in the gospel, we see that Jesus has eluded, intentionally kept a lid on identifying himself as the Messiah. But on this day, there was no holding back. His identity when he came in was triumphantly honored as Israel's promised king, as people enthusiastically, we studied last week, shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this energetic reception and worship at Jesus' triumphant entry did not go unnoticed by the religious leaders and Roman officials. As a result, hear me here, just as God planned, by the end of that week, 
Jesus was unjustly arrested, beaten, whipped, tried, and condemned to die the death of crucifixion. And Jesus, the promised Messiah, a king, and Jesus, the suffering king, was now dead, but not for long. Here's where the table turn. See what I mean? I want to have you open your Bibles to Mark 16, and this is where we're going to focus here, where we discover Jesus is truly a conquering king. That's what we celebrate today. Mark chapter 16, look with me at verses 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was passed, and that's from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, Mary Magdalene, the Mary, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Got the picture? First Easter morning, sun is rising. Ladies are on a path. They're walking toward the tomb. It's lined, I'm guessing, with dark and long shadows. But perhaps no shadow, no darkness could compare with the darkness and doubts that I can tell you was in their hearts and their souls. The sights and the sounds, the pains and the disappointments of the previous week must have been ripping through their minds and their soul like a violent tornado. Interestingly, as I mentioned in the sunrise this morning, only one group of Jesus' followers were there for everything. They were at the cross, they were at the burial, and now they were one of the very first ones to the tomb. It's these three women, these three ladies. They had witnessed it all, they had heard all of it, and they experienced it all. And so in addition to these horrific memories that they had to endure, imagine all their hopes, all their dreams are now buried in this sealed tomb with Jesus. Got the picture? Sadly, in spite of the many, many repeated predictions that he would rise again on the third day, not one of Jesus' disciples, not a single one, thought, hey, maybe we should go check this out and see if what he said was correct. Not one of them is standing there counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, not one. Even these women... Even these women, as faithful as they were, came to Jesus' tomb, not expecting to see the risen Lord, but to anoint his dead body. And they're walking along this path, and it suddenly occurs to them, hey, we've got a pretty large problem. Verse 3, who, they ask among themselves, will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It's interesting, I wondered about how heavy that might be, and I looked it up. And according to archaeologists, that stone could weigh between one or two tons. And so as far as they were concerned, this was an overwhelming obstacle. But you know what that's like, don't you? If you think about it, we all have our own stones. No, our stones do not cover the entrance of a tomb in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, today, our path just might be blocked by the boulders of unemployment, abandonment, abuse, or addictions. It's also possible that some of us here today may be facing insurmountable obstacles like debt and divorce and drunkenness and depression. Still others here today 
may have bills they can't pay, grades they can't make, people they can't please, whiskey they can't resist, pornography that is seemingly can't be refused, chronic diseases that they can't escape, a past they can't shake, or a future they can't face. And the reality is, just like these ladies in our biblical narrative, we simply aren't strong enough to roll those stones away, are we? Though we've tried, <laughs> we can't push them, we can't get over them, we can't get around them, and we can't move them, not even an inch. But as I looked at the example of these ladies, notice what they did. They recognized, they acknowledged their problems, they wondered what they were going to do and who might help them, but in the end, it didn't stop them. They kept right on walking. And as they did, please notice how the Lord provided in verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was very large. I don't know what problems you're facing today. Whatever that problem is you're facing, whatever that obstacle you have, don't let it keep you from going to Jesus. Only through Jesus, you see, can you and I experience the peace and the grace and the empowerment we need to walk victoriously through those difficult challenges in life. And only through Jesus can we possess the strength and the forgiveness that we need to be released from the strongholds of our lives. When our problems appear too strong for us to handle and we feel like quitting, let us remember that God is way out in front of us, as he was with these ladies. Reading on in our biblical text, we discover that when the woman arrived at the tomb, not only was the stone rolled away and not only was the tomb empty, but this angel sits there waiting for them. And in verses 5 and 6, we're told that these angelic beings, this angelic being goes on to tell these women five things. Look at your text. First, hey, don't be alarmed. Uh, by the way, that's protocol. Don't, they're not surprising. Usually angels start with conversations like that, especially when you're entering into a tomb where you don't expect any conversations. <laughs> Second, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Hey, you're in the right place. You didn't go to the wrong tomb. You're in the right place. Third, He's been raised. Apparently, they needed some clarification, and he is not here. And finally, to convince him, he says, look. And he points over to the empty chamber where the body once laid and said, he is not here. And then before these poor ladies could even begin to grasp and capture all that has just been shared with them, according to verse 7, he commands him, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Folks, this is the miracle of Easter. By God's awesome power, God allowed Jesus to take off his grave clothes and walked out of that tomb. And the single greatest feat ever accomplished here, the power is immense. Just imagine the power it took Jesus to defeat death and to walk out of that tomb. And one of the things we celebrate at Easter, the cool thing, is that resurrection power is available to change and transform our lives today. Philippians 3.10, I love Paul's words here. 
declaring that the most important thing in his life, I want to know Jesus with everything I got, and I want to experience the power of his resurrection firsthand. What an amazing source of spiritual vitality, power, and strength for living this Christian life. Because of the resurrection, we know that God is in our corner. He's there to help us overcome every enemy, every obstacle, every temptation, and every fear. That's the power of the resurrection. And hear me, this is not a one-time event. This is not a one-time event. For the believer in Christ, it's an everyday event impacting our whole lives through. And so as we close out our time in the Word today, I'd like to share with you a few impacting thoughts about that power and how it changes us. If you're taking notes, this is one of the first major points. First, our conquering king assures our future resurrection. Our conquering king assures yours and my future resurrection as believers. If Jesus had only rose from the dead to prove that he himself could be held, not held by its power, that would be an impressive feat for anyone. But honestly, that would still offer us little hope, wouldn't it? But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since Christ has been raised, you could almost say. If you look at Scripture, sure, there are some people that tells us that we're raised from the dead. But let me also remind you that all of them died again. In contrast, that first Easter morning when Jesus was raised from the dead, it wasn't temporary, it was eternal. And to put it simply, death was not merely postponed, it was fully conquered. And it says here that Jesus is the first fruits of those who believe. As the first to be raised from the dead, Paul says, Jesus has opened up the way for all who trust and who follow to enjoy the same blessing of a resurrection. Second, our conquering king assures God's judgment will ultimately prevail, will ultimately prevail. Admittedly, we live in a society and indeed a world in which justice is often perverted and which justice is often neglected. Think about this week. How many times were you watching the news and you saw something that you didn't say, how can this be? Or how could that have happened? Well, we live in a fallen, sinful world. But the resurrection means, among many things, that God's justice will ultimately prevail. You see, Jesus has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He will indeed crush all injustices. He will right all wrongs. He will have the final word. And that brings me to third. Our conquering king assures God's present and future kingdom. Yes, the decisive battle against sin and Satan and sickness and death has been fought and won by our conquering king. But I say that war is not entirely over. I want you to think about this. In this fallen world in which we now live and serve, Sin still has to be fought, Satan has to be resisted, sickness must be endured, and death must be experienced. But after, when God sets up his kingdom and it's fully established, Christ is physically reigning, 
Revelation 21.4 explains what will not be there. And I don't want you to miss those things. And hallelujah, look carefully. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. Folks, there will be no mourning and no crying or pain. There'll be no more sadness and suffering. All sin has, has, that has been the source of our sorrow will be gone. God himself, it says, will wipe away the tears and it will never return. In addition, our physical bodies will be transformed. All those aches and pains, right, will be made perfect. God, not our aches and pains will be made perfect, our bodies, okay? God is going to give us a strong, glorious, eternal body which is perfectly fitted for all life in heaven. And we will be more alive there than we ever could be here. I don't think we'll be disappointed. We will also enjoy a new intimacy with God, an elimination of all those sorrows that sin brings. So today, no matter what you're going through, it's not the last word. God, you see, has written the final chapter. Listen, because of Christ's finished work, because he reigns as our conquering king to what has been assured to us as believers in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Can we read these together? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And because these promises are trustworthy, because these promises are real, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, be steadfast, be immobile, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. He is Risen. He's risen indeed. As those that are going to be baptized come back and get ready to get dressed, let me close my portion here in the word in prayer. Dear God and Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your amazing love for us that even while we were yet sinners, Lord, helpless and hopelessly lost, you sent Jesus to us, that he died, that he was buried and that he rose again. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the forgiveness that we have and for the way that Christ has provided and the new life that is ours through him. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who has not yet come to realize the salvation you have provided for them in Jesus that uh, will have the opportunity to talk today or that you'll work in their hearts and help them to see and place their trust in Jesus. Father, as believers, we confess our need to have our hearts renewed, our minds and our lives strengthened by you each and every day. Take the truth that we've heard today from your word and help us, Lord, to grow and to be more like Jesus every day. May we make a difference in this world for your glory and for your purposes as you called us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand sing together time this morning as we sing a song that's based on that passage that we just read together.
that Jesus is our true and living hope. He is alive. He will never die again. And through him, we have a living hope that we can look forward to when he comes again to take us home to be with him in glory. This song focuses on the hope that we find in our Christ. Let's sing this together.
our living hope is just that. It's living because our Savior is alive. And we are excited this morning to celebrate that new life with a couple sisters uh, who want to publicly share uh, and confess their faith and trust in Jesus through being obedient to baptism. So our first sister that I want to invite and join us uh, is Ashley Lau, and she's going to come in here and share her testimony with us. Good morning, church. My name is Ashley Lau, and today I'd like to share my testimony with you all. I remember attending Sunday school since second grade here at Chantilly Bible. We'd all sit crisscross listening to the teacher who tell Bible stories. Unintentionally, I found them so interesting to a fault, to a point where they felt almost mythical and unrelatable. Little me didn't grasp the significance and love of each story. She instead focused on memorizing the sequence of it all for a chance at some praise or a piece of candy. This feeling of detachment from God was prevalent throughout my adolescence. I felt like I was programmed the wrong way and that I was too skeptical to fully embrace faith. I used to rely on my own understanding. I fully believed that with a positive mindset, I would be able to get through any hardship. This mentality worked a few times. I'd distract myself by hanging out with family and friends, binging anime, striving for the best grades, and swaddling myself in bed to protect me from my problems. My eighth grade year was my wake-up call. Towards the end of a youth group retreat, we were asked to stand up to declare our faith in Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. I admired how my peers rose up on their own timings. It almost felt like they were walking towards the Lord with their step of faith. With this, however, I felt like I was being quickly left behind. My brain was already sending panic signals for my body to rise up and fit in. On the other hand, my heart knew it was in the right place to stand, so I sat. I felt so disgusted with myself. I remember questioning myself out loud while breaking down. I talked with my small group leaders and friends. I realized that that feeling in my heart wasn't a mere coincidence. It was the Holy Spirit reminding me that I have yet to accept Jesus' unconditional love and gift for me. When I returned home, I had the solitude in my room. I cried out to the Lord on my knees and accepted Jesus that night. The sleep afterwards was especially comforting. My journey in following Christ was not perfect, nor was it exact. As a sinner, I had my spiritual highs and lows. There were times that a sermon deeply resonated with me, where I felt full of the Lord's peace and joy. A few weeks later, I'd get distracted and stray. Occasionally during these weeks, I'd feel like a million bucks. I'd lavish in worldly desires, knowing that they're short-lived and temporary. That feeling that something doesn't feel right through at all, however, stays. What truly fills that thirst is my Abba Father that provides structure and substance into my life. Just like any relationship, spending time is what cultivates trust and familiarity. The more I regularly spent time with God, the more I felt His presence. Today, I'd like to take the step of faith in following Him. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior who died on the cross to save me from my sins. I'm excited to embrace new life in my faith after being buried in the likeness of Christ. Thank you all for listening, and happy Easter. Ashley, uh, as your brother in Christ, uh, it is my joy and privilege to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him the likeness of the dead, 
brings the newness of life. My name is Caroline Gao. Today I would like to share my testimony with you all. I grew up with mom that I thought she is my birth mom. When I was 14, I found out that I was adopted. It also that my adopted mom, when I was age 15, she passed away. I also learned that my birth parent has 12 children and I'm the only one that was given away. Before I trusted Christ, my life was a mess. Hopeless, worldly lot, I let bad, bad influences take over my life. I looked like I was doing fine. Inside was quickly destroying myself in many ways. I didn't love myself. I didn't understand why anyone else would love me who, for who I really was. I've always struggled with self-confidence issues for the longest time I really hate myself. I contemplated just giving up of life, wishing I would die. I remember crying, begging God to take me out of this world when bad things happen in my life. I blame God not to realizing that I was the one to blame. At the age of 16, after not going to church for months, I decided to go one Sunday. It was that day I realized that God loved me as I am. As long as I remember that and follow him, I trust him and listen to him, he will take care of me. Believing in Christ and following him are two different things. I was believer for really long time, but not a follower. After I choose to follow him, I gain confidence, courage, and inner peace. I finally felt I had a purpose. He's my heavenly father, and I'm his child. Throughout the high and lowest of life, I have walked with him, been cared by him, and comforted by him when I did not know how to look after myself. He looked after me. 
when Astrid, he gently brought me back on the right path. In sad times, he has counseled me. In good times, he shared my joy. When I talk, when I talk to others about him, he always show me more of his unconditional mercy, love, and care. After I came to faith with Christ, it, life it was still not easy, and a lot of hardship came to my life. But God is good. And the age 21, and a single mom, God used my neighbor to bring me back to church. He never let go of me. He never forsake me. So I want everyone to know that I am follower of Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus Christ is my savior. I believe that Jesus is son of God. He is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's almighty. He forgive me all of, of my sin. He is my friend. I want to follow him in baptism. I'm thank you for my grandma, my neighbor Jenny, and my friend Lisa Lingard. God used them so I can continue my faith. I can continue my walk in faith. Thank you and happy Easter. Sister Caroline, along with your family in Christ, I am honored and privileged to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Raised with him in his death, raised in newness of life. Good morning. My name is Andrew Hugh. I'm one of the elders of Ocean City Bible Church. Thank you for worshiping with us and uh, participating in the celebration of uh, uh, baptism of a number of our brothers and sisters uh, this beautiful Easter morning. In the earlier service, an hour ago, we had two sisters already taken their baptism. Praise the Lord that uh, we have three more during this hour. In a moment, I'm going to invite one of our Chinese sister, Jin Mei, to come down and give her testimony first. And I will baptize her after her testimony. And then Pastor Mike will come down, introduce uh, uh, two more brothers and sisters from, from our beloved Reed family, and baptize them as well. And then Pastor Mike will lead us into a prayer for all three of them. So now, Jin, come down, please. family in mainland China. My mother is a Buddhist. I was first exposed to Christianity at eight, and God's love 
has always surrounded me. He guided me and drew me close to him by his word and through his people. Throughout my life journey from China to Japan, Canada, and eventually to the United States, many Christian friends led me to churches and Bible study in the countries where I have lived. Sister Yinlo led me to Shantili Bible Church and has always encouraged me to persist in listening to sermons and reading the Bible. And she also prayed with me, but my sinful nature will still block me from putting full trust in Jesus. Finally, at the end of 2019, the coronavirus broke out and impacted the whole world, which inevitably dragged me to rethink about my life and priorities. I become more convinced that believing in Jesus is more important than anything on earth. Jesus Christ is the only true God, and He is my God. Putting my trust in Jesus has led to many positive changes in my life. I am no longer afraid of facing difficulties, whether it's a health problem, work, family issue. Knowing my almighty God is always here, I will pray to him and ask for protection and guidance. It's been decades since I was first introduced to Jesus. My sinful nature and worldly thoughts made me wander around year after year. However, the Lord Jesus embraced me with great love. He found me and guided me. God demonstrated his, life, his love for us in this. He sent his own son Jesus to the world and died on the cross for our sin while we were yet sinners. His resurrection showed that he is the son of God, conquered death and gave us new life. My spirit is revived and I understand that I don't need to figure out everything in the Bible before making a decision to follow Jesus and get baptized. He knows how small I am, but the Holy Spirit will be with me and guide me every day. The pastors, sisters, and brothers in the church can also help me learn and grow more. John chapter 3 uh, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, our Lord Jesus is indeed that the only way for us to be saved. I have responded to, the, to his grace by faith and obtained eternal life. Anyone here who have not yet known and trusted in the Lord Jesus, I pray that God will guide you to know, to know him and put your trust in him soon. For the Lord Jesus is indeed the life, and in him there is an abundant life. Thanks. Thank you, Jean, for your beautiful testimony. Now, Jean, because of your profession of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Now I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Raise new life in Christ. told us we have a couple more people that are wanting to showcase their faith in Jesus, their obedience to the call of baptism. So uh, I'm actually going to invite both Eric and Danielle to join me. I had really little, no spiritual upbringing. Um, even though I was, I was baptized as an infant, I can only recall a few times that we went to church, usually on Easter or Christmas, not understanding the, the true message of the gospel. By high school, I considered myself an agnostic, bordering on atheism, only because I couldn't prove that God didn't exist, but had no reason at the time to believe. I joined the Navy when I was 17 went almost immediately to basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. 9-11 happened a few months later. After training, I was stationed at SEAL Team 2 in Little Creek. Over the next seven years, I'd be deployed all over the world. I was fueled by my support of the mission and my own desires. I lived my life for me. I didn't think much of the future, and given the circumstances, I didn't think I had much of a chance of surviving past 25, and I accepted that fate. During a mission, I had uh, a very close call of death. We were tracking a highly trained enemy sniper that was causing significant US casualties. I was looking over a field and saw a faint flash of light. Before I recognized what that was, the bullet passed inches from my right ear, impacting the wall behind me. When you engage a shooter and once the battle was over, I realized just how lucky I had been. There is no way that this sniper could have missed me at such a short distance. How was that possible? There were just too many variables that had to align for me to still be alive. It didn't make any sense. I realized that this was no luck, but God's mercy and a wake-up call to look to the future, look to eternity. I began to start researching Christianity. I did this not because I thought I would have answers, but because uh, if I could find any inconsistency or error, I could dismiss it and go on to the next. Although my motivations were misguided, I was beginning to search for God. I left the military service, moved up to D.C., and started dating Danielle when she invited me to church. After several months of hearing the word and researching, I reached a point where the evidence was so overwhelming that I couldn't be ignored and put my faith and life in Christ. I had finally understood the gospel message that Christ came and died for our sins, as foretold in the Old Testament. He was placed in a tomb he rose again on the third day, and I believed. This was over 11 years ago. God changed my life in ways I'd never dreamed. I went from living my own selfish life 
to having a beautiful, loving wife and four wonderful children. I recognize that our journey does not end when our physical body dies, but lives on through Christ. Danielle and I have only been coming to Chantilly Bible for a few months, but one of the first sermons we heard was about the importance of baptism from Pastor Milt. We felt convicted that it was something that we should do in obedience to him. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Acts 22, 16. Good morning, Chantilly Bible. My name is Danielle Reed. A poem before the dawn. Insecure and wounded, lonely and fearful, tired and dark, seeking but not open, longing but not knowing. Before I knew my Savior, I frantically darted from achievement to achievement, relationship to relationship, milestone to milestone, searching for joy, peace, and love. I was insecure. I sought only to fill the loneliness. I was tired from the seeking and longed for change, growth, and something I could never quite grasp. My mind was weary but searching. My heart was wounded and closed. This is darkness. I lived in darkness for 31 years, yet he pursued me. I felt his protection, I heard his voice, and I witnessed his goodness. One spring day in 2009, I timidly walked into the back of Reston Bible Church and sat in the back pew feeling visibly on fire to everyone around me. What was I doing here? Who am I kidding? I am a sinner. God had invited me in. He also led me to these verses, which was the door that opened my heart to Jesus, his sacrifice, and his gift of salvation. John 4, 7 through 14 reads, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? She said, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you will have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. I saw my reflection in this woman, my faults, my sins, my wounds, and yet he sought her. He loved her. He gave her all for her salvation. His forgiveness of her translated to the forgiveness of me and all of us. We are his lost children whom he sought in the heat of the day, off the beaten path, full of sin, to give himself uh, uh, for our souls to never thirst again and have eternal life. I wish I could say that I changed and turned from sin and lived in God's direct light after reading this passage. However, this was not God's plan. He was gentle and kind and came into my life like the most beautiful sunrise. Slow, gentle, ray by ray, color by color, God and his word poured into my soul. First, he changed my speech, my tone, and my tongue. Then he changed my passions and desires. He gave me the kindest gift, my husband. God used marriage to teach me patience, kindness, and self-control, and not because I always demonstrated it, but because God and my husband showed it to me. Next, the Lord gave us four beautiful children, something I, a senior, did not feel I deserved. Yet just as a sunrise brings forth light in a new day, my growing love of the Lord and his goodness allowed me to gratefully accept his blessings and forgive myself of my sins. His sacrifice is enough. I honor him by acknowledging that he died on the cross and rose again as the savior of the world. A poem risen, seen and healed, 
whole and grateful, strengthened by the light, seeking in his word, filled by his goodness, longing for all I love to bask in the sunlight of his great love. Today, as I stand here to be baptized with an open heart, I sincerely pray that all know Jesus and be known by Jesus and share his love. We went from darkness to light because he first loved us. He loved a Samaritan woman. He loves me and he loves you. Let's pray in the form of song as we lift our voices and our hearts up to the Lord with one more chorus as we end our celebration of our risen King together. Let's sing, stand and sing together.